Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Class. What are we doing here? We wanted you to tell us. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's Questions not my role. <laughs> yeah, really. Let's. Uh, uh, we've got uh, two and a half hours. So, and I'm game for pretty much anything. First, it's a, a, a little bit tricky to give you an option other than total banishment at this point, because the gremlin will hear it and just go, boing! <laughs> and, uh, and at the same time, I, I don't want to lie to you about it, because my gremlin is alive and well, and I, have, I use it all the time because the gremlin has access to the nonlinear, has complete disrespect for everything, so that when an entire room of people are hypnotized by um, somebody's incantation, you know, somebody's victim story, or somebody's um, uh, presentation about the way things are, and, and trying to suck everybody into it, I don't get hypnotized by that because my gremlin says, everything is bullshit. So this is bullshit, that's bullshit, there's nothing that's not bullshit. So but I, I experience it as that uh, I have a, a hairy little paw that sticks out kind of back over this way out of any space. And, you know, a space is sort of the definition of where we are and what we're talking about, sometimes defined by a room, but not necessarily it's more of an energetic definition. So I have a hairy little paw that extends backwards out through any space and can hold on to another space. And, and since I'm in contact with people in this space and in contact with the next space, then I can just at any moment for no reason just go like this with my little back gremlin paw and yank everybody from one space into another space. And since everybody's with me, all they realize is that in a little while they'll look around and go, you know, oh, well, they don't even know. 
space just changes and everybody uh, is with me and we're all together in a new space and that I use the gremlin for that frequently. I mean, if you start to ask these questions and study the technology <coughs> of spatial cartographics, then you'll discover, um, start mapping, you know, you'll start walking into a space and you'll go, well, where am I? What space is this? Okay, now what space is this? And you'll have a, a space detector. You'll open up your senses to the quality of the spaces in a different way. In, instead of assuming that, well, I'm here, you'll know that you have multiple eyes and each one shows up when stimulated or according to your intention when you get a relationship with all the different personalities that you have. And then in the same way, spaces will be uh, flowing and moving around and changing and snapping and popping and um, rotating and vanishing and appearing and like that all the time, day in, day out, moment to moment. And you'll start to recognize and acknowledge that rather than thinking, ho-hum, another day on, you know, in Little Rock, Arkansas, the plain, you know, plain old every day, here I am, you know, this is what's happening right now. It's the same thing that always happens. You know, corn on the cob, potatoes, and roast beef. You know, it's, there's zillions of dimensions all happening at the same time. And by developing your uh, sensitivity to that, and and not um, and not having that sensitivity serve the unconscious purposes, then you can be of service to that with the principles that you serve at a much higher level because a person who's skilled in those skills can be of service to the to principles in many other ways than a person who's not skilled in those skills. I've, I've often used a metaphor of a chessboard where you have um, the front row pieces which are the pawns and they're all the same and then you have the back row pieces which are you know the king, bishop, rook, queen, knight, you know all those guys and each one of those has a different set of skills and they're all equally important on the board you know you need pawns you have to have pawns and you need all the other ones and it doesn't matter who who those things are so you can choose to live your life any way you like and you know for me I've spent a lot of time studying and training and practicing and messing up and getting feedback and learning and throwing myself into impossible situations and failing and learning a whole lot and in order to train myself to be one of the back row pieces and then uh, in, in you know my life is then how it is and it's like I like my life it's pretty interesting I get leaked out of one place and shoved into another and used for all kinds of stuff that I would not be used for were I not um, working with all this stuff so the gremlin has access to nonlinearity, orthogonality, and uh, has, like I said, it, you know, is has no respect for anything. So it can be of service to you in that way. And you said it's all humor, gremlin, and probably because. Humor has to do with a shock, a shock, or a surprise. I said humor is usually you go into a, a situation where something is expected and you present something that's a surprise or a shock, and that's the fun, that's the funny bone thing. That's what makes us laugh is go, you know, the, the little surprise. And that's a nonlinear 
orthogonal um, shift. And to make that shift, it, it, that's a gremlin um, capability. Why would you say the gremlin has so much flexibility in that way that we don't have Well, see, our normal psychology is totally committed to keeping things the same and to staying in control because it's based on survival. It's just, and so it can, our psychology it can survive um, in known conditions, and the unknown is, is dangerous to that. And so our psychology gets really well defended and develops many strategies to protect against anything that's not, pre you know, not already present. And it goes so far as to, like last night when we were having, a, Joshua and I were having a conversation and Kristen came over and sat down, and Joshua was speaking as loud as I'm speaking now, and Kristen was this close to him, and he said two or three sentences, and she's just sitting there and going, I didn't hear what you said. And it was because her psychology had defended her against hearing those things because it didn't fit in the, you know, the contained version of reality. So and it goes so far as to, you know, shut down our, you know, we see what we want to see, we hear what we want to hear. It's exactly that. So it has that much control over our interactions with the world and our relationship with life at large. So they will just shut stuff down to keep things the same. And um, the, the gremlin has, has no regard for life, has no regard for um, order, and has no regard for keeping things the same. In fact, the only thing it really wants is to just destroy stuff. So, um, you know, and make things just changed all the time. So it's a change agent, but it's usually um, uh, used unconsciously and it's usually destructive. Um, it's applied destructively. It's kind of like a plastic explosives, you know. You just you ever see kids kind of walking around at 4th of July, they get these packages of 500 firecrackers, you know, and they just walk around going, <coughs> you know, and then pretty soon that's boring, and then they'll start sticking them in places to see where they can blow up, you know, and that's the gremlin, it's just going around blowing up things because you have an unlimited supply of plastic explosives, and so used unconsciously, that's what it is, but used consciously, it's, it's, um, uh, a powerful tool, but so I'm, I'm not necessarily. Well, I recommend you know you do experiments with it, but I'm not. I'm not. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily in alignment with being a leader in relationship. I mean, I can think of reasons that it would be. If your intention <coughs> embodies the idea of relationship, then the gremlin could be put to good purpose to be more of a dynamic, fluid relationship, you know, to cultivate a fluid, dynamic relationship that's not based on just the psychology. It's based on something in a different realm. It could be, it could be given access, it could access <coughs> for higher purposes than what we normally experience it as. Well, it seems like it's, it's like the, the parent-adult-child in a way, where you can if you're in your adult, you can access the child and, you know, the free and natural child, or you can experience the nurturing parent. Like, you can, you can access those different parts, but not be totally taken over by them. And, and the adult is still running the show 
and it, it seems like that's how it is with the gremlin. Like when you're using your gremlin, there's some you know that you, you're using it for a, a, a principle. If you're using it with a specific intention in mind, and so it's not contaminating you or the space. What isn't a question of consciousness? I mean, that is really, that's it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, would you talk for just a minute about the gremlin in relationship to the statements that you made last night about the unconscious mm -hmm. manifestation of the masculine? And that's what I want to know. Kind of interesting. Could you, could you repeat the question? I just asked him to speak a little bit about the gremlin in in the role of the unconscious manifestation of the feminine, the masculine, that you talked about last night. Those two statements really stayed with me. And I'm mm -hmm. kind of interested in hearing more about that. I first wanted to say that uh, um, I've, in my mind, I've defined relationship as an active, an ongoing act of nonlinear creation. <coughs> and that if when my involvement with people isn't that, then the relationship is not alive in a certain way. That um, <coughs> it becomes static or goes into stasis, you know, it sort of um, hibernates. And like with my wife, um, if I ever think that I know who she is, then then I've, I'm deadening the relationship. Almost, you know, and the only way to have that be alive is for me to constantly put myself on this edge <coughs> of I don't know what's next I don't know how to do this and I'm, and something new can come of this like if I ever say the same thing to her that I ever said before um, that's not a that's not a uh, um, milieu it's not a context in which love can can live because love is this living thing and it about uh, my involvement with that is a <clears throat> an ongoing act of nonlinear creation, in a, which is in some ways work, you know, because it's never it's not a comfortable thing. It's always in it always takes effort and consciousness, and um, and on the other hand, it takes no work because it's it's only about like it's all about play. So it's like that's what play is. is a, if you watch kids at all. Yeah, if you watch kids at all, you might just see how it's an ongoing act of nonlinear creation. <clears throat> and anything that happens is um, a possibility. It doesn't matter what the thing is, you know, that it's never been used for that before, that it's not supposed to be for that, or, you know, kids, the most fascinating thing for them sometimes <coughs> are, are paper bags, you know, or, you know, you get Christmas time, they get all these incredible <coughs> presents, and what they're playing with is the ribbons. And the, and the packaging materials, you know, or the stuff in the little peanuts, you know, those plastic things, sticking them up their nose. And <laughs> so, yeah, so, so your question about the, um, the unconscious mechanical manifestation of men being stupid, to me is, uh, is well, it's all a creation, it's all creation and it's either conscious or unconscious creation. So for men to consciously, or excuse me, generally unconsciously create themselves as stupid as a, as a mechanical manifestation is a really artful thing. I mean, it's pretty, 
most women looking at the stupidity of men would be astounded and stunned that anything could be so stupid. Like, it must take immense effort to shut down an awareness to that degree that they wouldn't notice that the garbage can needs to be empty, or that, <laughs> or that there's, or that there's a woman who's you know alive and well and ready for anything standing in front of them, you know they can't even see who that is or what's possible right then. So it's, a, it's an immense amount of effort. You have to appreciate that about man that we have this talent <laughs> to to make to make living wonderful, lively, open possibilities into kind of this gray slime that's just kind of would rather sit in front of the TV and drink beer and, and eat pretzels. And um, So would there be a book, like in the primary section, that would explain that very clearly to some of these individuals that you give as a gift, you know, I propose plastic explosives. <laughs> and really, and that I think is, is I think that's where the evil comes from yeah. in the woman to try to wake up the men to what's possible is that it's, it's necessary to use the, um, such devilish um, tactics. Is know. it necessary to do that? Or is that just the easy way to do it? That's the unconscious way to do it. Yeah, it's the, it's the unconscious way to do it. It's the unconscious mechanical way to do it. It isn't, it's nothing is... it's not it necessary. It doesn't seem like no. it's a question of ease. Because I've, I, you know, when I see women, and when I catch myself doing it, it's not any, I don't think it's necessarily any easier to do the evil. Being stupid is the easy. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. It's not a passive thing. No. It's all active, created, moment to moment. Did you, you know, making the prison of unconsciousness. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of effort. With incredible commitment. And mm -hmm. skill. Yeah, it's like we were talking about in camp last week. You're never not creating. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're always creating something. <coughs> you may be creating something unconscious, but you're, I don't know that I, I mean, I think that people are always creating something. And what goes along directly with that is that irresponsibility is a complete and total illusion. There is no such thing as irresponsibility. Mm -hmm doesn't exist. It's just an illusion. Because we are ongoingly moment to moment creating how it is, even our consciousness. So, um, in hearing you say that about uh, being stupid, um, I know that a lot of my stupidity and tactics in the past, in my recovery, I've, I've found out that it was, it was on purpose. And it was uh, out of my resentment towards Beth and many other things. Would that be what you're talking about, the unconscious manifestation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and your, and your resentment wasn't even towards Beth. It was, uh, I think it was, a, um, you know, it's more of an archetypal resentment. It's a resentment towards... Uh, 
life or resentment towards being born or resentment towards the fact that there are an infinite number of possibilities in every moment and everything you do or don't do creates what's real for you and for everybody around you and that's an immense amount of responsibility and um, you think that you can be separate from that or get rid of it okay. you know it's not a it's like a non-acceptance of reality so non-acceptance of what is resentment is just a um, it's the opposite of of what's so to try to pretend like what's so isn't so and yeah and that's almost um You know, the, it's the creation of unhappiness. You know, happiness derives from, as a result of choosing what is. And so, what your intention and your purpose is, is to create unhappiness or rage because there's a, you know, so what? I mean, we don't own how much we enjoy being pissed off, or we don't enjoy how much we, we don't admit how much we enjoy resentment. Resentment is an incredibly fulfilling and rewarding experience and if we don't know other possibilities that's you know that's the most delightful thing to experience it's better than anything to be resentful and you know your mate is the easiest person in the world to be resentful to, to manufacture resentment about just because they're there you know, they're there so in our when we talk about um, the gremlin you know, if you don't change your relationship to it, it'll leak out. Is that the unconscious manifestation as well? Yeah, because the gremlin is you, the gremlin serves unconscious purposes. It's a tool used to serve unconscious purposes. It, it sounds like when you say that there's no such thing as irresponsibility, mm -hmm. but then there's really no such thing as unconsciousness, because it seems like something conscious somehow we consciously chose at some point to be unconscious. Mm -hmm yeah but unconsciousness is there in terms of well I was going to say in that there are there's like three forces there's a, a creative force and a sustaining force and a denying or destroying force and like all three of those forces always exist in every moment and if you don't have those three forces reality can't exist so all three of those forces are always there so unconsciousness is is just kind of part of the um, the weave of things. It's you know the destroying, destructive, unconscious, negative, whatever. That's part of the game. You can't have white without being black present also, and you can't have either white or black without there being a medium in which white or black happens. Like if there weren't this carpet here, we couldn't see the white or the black on the carpet. So there's the white, there's the black, and there's the carpet. <coughs> so the carpet is sustaining. Uh, presence and usually we forget about the carpet usually when we're going around in our life we think there's them and then there's us but you can't have them or us without the space in between so we forget about the space in between and a lot of times we experience the space in between is that which separates us but in fact the space in between is that which connects us it's just a so we consciously choose to be unconscious, or to have unconsciousness. Yeah, and then we forget, and we, forget and, we take, and we don't, and we pretend like we're not responsible for that. 
Would it be like autopilot? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, yeah. It's a Choosing to go to autopilot. Yeah. Mechanical, yeah. Mechanical. And you know, you know, you look at uh, other forms of life, um, you know, dogs or cats or something, and you go, well, are they conscious or not? And the thing that's incredible about the human biological machine is that it, it is intricate enough to sustain consciousness, self self consciousness, aware of itself. And it's simply the there's a cool book out called Ishmael, and it I don't know if you read it. Okay. Yeah, anyway, it's just a, a, a book that talks about how human beings just accidentally happened to be the first organic organic material on the planet Earth that was sophisticated enough to sustain awareness of itself, and that all um, organics are in, in motion in that direction to become conscious in the same way, and just by mere fact of the fact that we happen to be first, we think that the planet was made for us, or that we're superior or something, and that we own all the rest of this. And the truth is that we're, it's our responsibility to caretake the voyage of the rest of, of the organics on the planet along their journey towards becoming conscious. That's our whole wish would be for ants to become self-aware, or slugs to become you know, self-aware beings, you know, because that's where they're going. That's the evolution. Evolution is only going towards more consciousness. It's, that's why I was saying last night about we are the best there ever was, because we are standing at the forefront, the leading edge of the wave of evolution that's happening through the organics on the planet. And, all, and we are evolving as fast as we possibly can, and we're evolving our ability to evolve. We're even evolving that, you know, and all this, um, the networks of communications and all the computer stuff and interconnection libraries and information and learning and education and trainings and like all this stuff is interwoven together to produce the kinds of stress that are ideal for producing evolution in the organics on the planet. And we're at the cutting edge of that. And right here in this room is a little protoplasmic blob pushing out into the nothing and extending that consciousness right now. And you guys are part of that. What? We're part of the blob. Yeah. Part of the oozing <coughs> into the expansion of consciousness that, you're, that we're designed for. We are, this is like the most delightful thing that we can experience here. Like this is what we're designed for. So when you say, and when you say that the machine, like the human machine can, um, what did you say, is conscious of itself, mm -hmm. then does that mean that the machine consciousness, being conscious of itself is still the machine being conscious of itself, or is it something, is it is it consciousness which is separate from the machine? What would you think? Well, I've always thought it was consciousness which is something else other than the machine. But when you said it, it sounded like, or made me think, hmm, maybe it's just really the machine observing the machine. Well, you just crossed the, with that question, really, you crossed the boundary between uh, the you know, the mechanics of alchemical mechanics, the laws of principles of alchemical mechanics into w the domain of spirituality. Because when you ask that question, and if you were to discover the answer that consciousness is 
and the only that we don't experience consciousness except when consciousness interferes with an organic machine, and then it can consciousness can become aware of itself. Consciousness can look at consciousness just like you can pay attention to your attention, or you can look at what you're looking with. Um, you can only do that through uh, an organic. And so consciousness becomes aware of itself through an organic machine. And so it's kind of like uh, there's light just going through space. But you don't see the light until it hits something. And then there's a, re then there's a reflection. Like you don't see the light here. You only see the light when it hits the carpet, unless there's dust particles, and then you can see the light there. But you don't see the light until it hits something solid. So you don't experience consciousness until it hits something solid. And so then you go, well, what is it that separates? I mean, if, if who we are is all the same thing, simply being conscious manifested. You know, if we're just like all little dust particles that this one blob of consciousness is bouncing off of, then who you are and who you are and who you are even though we think that we're different and unique and have a personal identification with this is who I am and that's who you are, the truth is that all there is is just that consciousness being with itself. And this is just, uh, this is just consciousness having a conversation with itself. And that's what we're doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have a question. And to live from that context you were to live from the context that there is no difference between any any form of consciousness that it's just all manifestations of consciousness at large then your life will be completely overturned from this is me and that's you this is about me you know i i care whether you eat and i don't you know if you eat then we have eaten you know it's kind of like the buddy system but on a big scale you know if you win then winning is happening and that's what it's about. Winning is happening. You know, if the guy cuts in front of me and gets to work on time and I'm a minute late, he got to work on time and safely. And winning is happening. Um, you mentioned the multiple personalities and being conscious of which I is in the space. Mm -hmm. And um, could you talk about, like, what are the questions I need to ask myself to become aware of the I that's in the space? Well, what would you think they would be? Um, well, from the training, the first question I've had is, what ego state am I in? Mm -hmm. um, and what are my feelings in this moment? Um, and from there, it would be, what is my intention? Mm -hmm. Purpose? Yeah. Yeah, the different personalities would have a different purpose. You can go so far as to give them names like we do with the mask, you can give different masks different names. So you can then you have a handle on um, that which is doing the in invocation in your in your space. Who we we are invocators. Human beings are invocational creatures. All we do is invoke. So we call forth a name and create the legend about who we are and what's happening. And we go and we're doing that along. We're going moment to moment along those lines doing this. And so what you want to know is, well, who, who's doing this? Like, what purpose am I serving and which, which I is in charge at the moment doing the invoking? And you can call it by name. 
mean, it takes a little bit of study, but you can go, oh, here's that one, or here's this one, or here's that one. And then when you start to name them, then, then there's the who's naming them. Who's the namer? Who's the observer of that which is being named? And who's, who's looking at what I'm looking at? Who, who, so you have to back off and have a little separation between um, the eye that's going on and the observer. So you've developed an observer. You learn to split your attention. So your attention can both be on what you're doing and the purpose of what you're doing, or on what you're creating and who's creating it. So you can actually split your attention between what's called the I and the it, because the it is what's being created and the I is that which is observing it. And the I meaning the, we use, if you looked at it in written form, it would be a capital I with quotes around it, which would be the more of a singular I. And Gurdjieff's terms, his, his goal is for, he says you can't even begin to function consciously without a unitive I, they call it singular I. So in beginning work, in the beginning becoming conscious of life or what you're doing, then the main purpose of that is to develop a unit of I, a singular I or an observer. So in Gurdjieff's work they have a lot of exercises and experiences that are designed specifically to um, develop that in a person. And, and, and you only do that in groups. You can't can't do that by yourself. You have to work in small groups like this and develop that. But yeah, the exercise would be to call it by name. And once you can call it by name, which is a very powerful alchemical act, if you can call it by name and name it, then you own it. Then it's yours. So this is kind of a crazy question, but it popped into my head. Um, so somebody with split personality. Does that have any relation at all to what you're talking about as far as dividing up those parts of ourselves? And is that their gremlin taking over? Or is it, or do you know? Well, in my experience, we are, we're all, every one of us has split personality. That's my experience. And then there's varying degrees of that. And it's possible for one to not know the other. But that's no. That's not a lot different from us, you know, from me. Because when I'm when I'm doing one thing, it's only if my wife or kids or my best friends go, asshole, you know, you're doing this thing again, and I go, no, I'm not. It's just me. I'm, this is right. It's true. It's the only possible answer to this situation. That's what we get tied into. What we're doing is the only possible solution. The only possible <laughs> thing that we could do right now is this thing, and everybody around us is going. There are a zillion things that you could be creating right now. You could think, say anything. You could do anything. You could feel anything. And you're doing this. We're committed to that one thing. We go, no, this is the only possible response I could have to this situation. It's right. It's true. It's, you know, like that. And, and so that's why we work in groups. But the one, the fact that we don't know other possibilities in every moment is pretty standard for us. So a split personality is like an extreme version, but it's just on a spectrum, I think. I don't think. And certainly there is sort of like one line right at the end where where the complete unconsciousness of the one, the other one, like lack of memory of other experiences, no other, like the cutting off of the memory of other reference points at the end of the spectrum, you know, that happens. But it's not, I don't think it's any different. So you could say that one positive purpose or function of the gremlin would be, the gremlin would be to 
stand outside our psychology to a degree that it will invite or invoke information about the parts of us that are unconscious because it's willing to be with the unknown. It's willing to try something different. It's willing to be the radical assumption even. You know, so that was a good question because it, it seems as though we have to have something outside of the embedded, like wired up psychology that we exist within that keeps us so The difference between consciousness and love. What would you What would you say? I would say it's the same thing. Me too. All there is is love, right? All there is is consciousness. <laughs> I have a question. I love that. When you said the space between us is what connects us, and some of us experience it as what separates us, <coughs> is the the greater the space, the more capacity we have to be connected? Or is it not based upon? Like, I just thought of it more, maybe the more, you know, we just think it's like the closer, the more connected, but is it, could it be that actually the more distance there is, the more capacity <coughs> to be connected? I'm not sure I understand your question. I mean, connected is connected. And that, the space between us, is that which is like where the connection goes through? But I don't understand. I don't understand about being farther away, making a capacity for connection. I don't understand that. Um, when you said that, when you said that the the space between us connects us, can actually connect us. I imagined like that if we have a certain intention with it, or if we a certain awareness around it, that it that it could actually enhance connection. That when we think of it as separate, that it that that it does that, it separates us. But if mm -hmm. we think, or if we use it as connection, it connects us. And I thought, so I imagined like something happening in that space. There's a principle that's called occlusion. It's a, and it's about creating unconsciousness or creating stupidity or creating dumbness. But it's occluding, being. Um, Occlusion is like where the cloud comes in front of the sun. Doesn't mean the sun's not there. It, mm -hmm. And and when it gets when the sky turns blue, it doesn't mean the stars aren't there. When we wake up, it doesn't mean our dreams aren't there. It's like the um, occlusion is um, kind of a, a one of the major things that we create, and it's an illusion. It's the illusion of separation. <laughs> So that <laughs> and <laughs> really? Yeah, it's a cognitive process called object permanence. Called object permanence? Mm -hmm. And children learn it at about six months. Well, normally developing, average developing children learn it at about six months of age, where if something disappears from sight, it still exists. You can tell a lot about a child's cognitive um, processes at that age if you cover a toy with a napkin, and ch children will either immediately turn their attention to something else that exists for them, or they will remove the napkin to get, you know, or whatever it is that, you know, is occluding it to um, get what they know exists. They can, there's, there's learning that happens after that that cannot happen until that happens. It's a huge um, developmental model. 
there's a in terms of spiritual teachers there's a a, a lot of students or um, who are in relationship with spiritual teachers who experience when their teacher is gone away or when their teacher has died that they experience their teacher more profoundly than they ever experienced them when they were alive or present and that's an unblown phenomena and when you start to consider um, that that which connects when you're working with psychic things that there's no such thing as space or time in terms of in interfering with with connection with the connection so that if you need to as is or, or you know a shift something or create something with somebody who's dead or somebody who's you know on the other side of the planet there is no the distance or the, the in time or space is irrelevant to, to perform those functions I've also experienced that when you like go on vacation or someplace you've never been when you come back you feel still feel that energy uh, from the other place from the other place you you have shifted somehow or, or grown or expanded mm -hmm. I don't know if this is yeah, going where you wanted to go it's, it's, it sounds like what you're saying then is just like you said you're connected and it doesn't matter where you are it doesn't matter how far away you are mm -hmm. but I, I'm still on wondering just if there's something that happens in the space, if there's something, if there's a potential for, um, to feel the, the connection stronger if there's more distance, if you know how to use it. And it may not, I mean, it may not exist, it's just, I'm wondering if to me, like referring to the separate separate space maintains the separateness, and that if the space is it's, it's all the same, it's oneness. So there is a, it's not like there's a bigger space or a smaller space. It's just, I mean, if the connectedness is oneness rather than two separate things that are apart. Then, then it's not like there's a bigger space or a smaller space because it's all the same thing. Yeah, I, be I believe that. I mean, that sounds true for me. And, it, and I, I just am thinking of like another possibility. And I don't. It sounds like you need, if you could do some experiments yeah. to figure that out. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. We're talking about this in the movie Star Wars. Uh, Obi Wan Kenobi lets himself get killed so the Force will get stronger in Luke. And before he's killed, Luke can't listen to him. He can't hear what his words, he can't hear anything. But after he's killed, he hears his voice all the time, even when he's in battle or whatever. And it's like he's there bigger than, than he was before. He was just an old man he couldn't listen to when he was physically there. I think that's like when also you spend time apart from someone you care about. And over time, all you think about are like the, the good things. I mean, it's kind of like... The, the, yeah, you think of their essence, and, and the, the tough times just, they just, you know, melt away, and it's just like you, you're connected to their heart. Are you going to say that? I was going to say that in any space, I think what, what creates connection is communication. But there has to be a medium of communication. And 
for me, that's why the conversation is becoming more and more interesting to me. It's like, what conversation am I willing to have? You know, am I willing to have a conversation of, of connectedness, or am I willing to have, not have that? You know, am I willing, like, what what is it I want to create through my conversation? Where am I going with this? Love is a function of consciousness is love. And love is a function of communication. And there has to be some medium of exchange. I think that um, I don't know, I don't I don't think you have to have a conversation to be connected. I think it's I think it's some type of I think there's some type of experience that connects you and it might be conversation. Because I've, I've had experiences in my life where I've connected with people that I've not had a conversation with. I mean, I think there's like an experiential um, space that, that makes, in which that connection happens. I've walked by someone and connected to them and done nothing but walk by. 